What's up, guys? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Sam Orlick here, your host. We've got a very special episode for you today. Returning back to the show, special guest Corey LeBeau. Hey, Sam. Corey, my man, what's going on? Uh, you know, man, we're getting to those last few days of the season, although it feels like the playoffs have started like two weeks early. Goodness. I know, I know. A lot to uh, talk about here. Um, but you just kind of hit on it, really just feeling like the playoffs are already here, looking at seeding, matchups, <laughs> um, a lot of different narratives and curious to get your take in perspective i know you know obviously you want to win games and and go into the postseason feeling successful um are there any matchups that you're trying to avoid in the uh, in the first round you you asking if i want to see kevin durant in the very first first round of the playoffs Sam, I can't say that I do. I can't say that I would like to see that happen, to have to play against Kevin Durant. But I'm a big believer in they need to win all the games they can. They need to, no matter what, avoid the play-in. Like, I've heard some talk about, like, hey, would you want to, like, go into the play-in? Maybe you could play Memphis if you win the first play-in game. I'm like, I do not tr- – I mean, I trust this team to win a championship, but – I don't I'm not sure if I trust them to win a winner take all in the play play in. They've gotten like they've choked away too many games in the final moments for me to trust a one game sample size. So I want them out of the play in and I want them going into the postseason with a little bit of momentum, a little bit of good vibes and energy and feeling good, just like they did last year. And then I think it'll all take care of itself. But ideally, if we could play the Kings in the first round, that would be very fun. Yeah, that was going to be my question. His who who would be your your ideal matchup? Okay, so how would you kind of rank? Let's assume, for the sake of argument, that the Warriors are not going to fall into the play-in. Um, mm-hmm. So if you could be, you know, I guess it doesn't really matter. It's it's a question of are you going to finish fourth, fifth, or sixth? And it sounds like you would prefer the Warriors to end up in sixth place, matching up against the Kings. Yeah, is there a way we could like specify that the Kings are the three seed? Because I feel like that's a little bit in flux too. Or have they kind of sealed this away in terms of the top three being the top three? Yeah. Um, I mean, Sacramento's at 47 and 30. Phoenix is five games below them. Memphis has two less losses. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess anything yeah. can happen. There's still four or five games left, but I think, you know, I think that all three of those teams, one, two, and three, you know, neither of them, you know, they've been so consistent all season long. I don't really see any drastic change or um, slippage that would kind of change yeah. the seating. I mean, sure, of course, um, but I think it's... Anything can happen. Yeah, I yeah. feel you. I guess, you know, maybe between Denver and Memphis, I mean, I saw some, I mean, I haven't seen anything official, but I've I've seen some, some thoughts that maybe Denver would intentionally rest guys to ensure that the Warriors beat them to kind of solidify that uh, Suns Warriors first round matchup. Um, 
you know, I'll see it when I believe it, but I guess if Nikola Jokic is sitting out games, um, two losses is not unfathomable. And uh, on the other side, Memphis maybe could, you know, close out winning the last few games to to overtake them at first. Uh, I just don't see that happening, though. I think Mike Malone, you know, similar to the Warriors, you want to head into the postseason feeling good about your squad um, on a good um kind of with good vibes good energy on a, on a nice winning streak i don't think you want to intentionally lose games to try and muck up the standings you're gonna play who you're yeah. gonna play especially if you're Definitely. the one seed you should be confident in your ability to match up against who you need to and not um thinking yeah. about that absolutely i mean especially with the nuggets being in the first seed they have such a big lead they don't even know what team they're going to get out of the play in. And that's the crazy thing about the Western conference. It could be one of five separate teams that come out in the seven and eight spot and they're all dangerous in their own ways. So you just got to do what you have to do as a team. One of the luxuries about being the one seed. And we know this because the warriors got to do this all the time back in the day is if you're the one seed and you've built up that lead, you can rest guys down the stretch and like, start to really gear up for the playoffs whereas the warriors and you know every other team the clippers the mavericks the suns the uh, lakers every single other team needs that winning streak right now they need to put together some momentum and chemistry and vibes or else they're going to be dead in the water when it comes into the playoffs talking about dallas here real quick mm -hmm. 37 and 41 currently sitting in 11th place (laughs) Tied in the lost column how, with Utah. That's just makes me gleeful, Sam. Gleeful. Just couldn't happen to better guys. Couldn't happen to better guys. Uh, no, Dallas, that's interesting. I feel like you try to make these big home run swings. We were talking about it, right? We were like, how much better is this really going to make Dallas and Phoenix? We were talking about that, the trade of depth for like these all-star supernovas. And with Dallas's case, like they got rid of all their get depth for another pretty one-dimensional player like a sensational player but one-dimensional and yeah they've been tricking off a bunch of losses yep luca's not yet really a two-way player i mean probably one of the the best um players on offense we've seen in quite some time when you just talk about his all-around game um his ability to facilitate and score draw fouls um, totally And he's in a position where he can't afford to be as bad defensively as he is. For example, like a Kyrie Irving, like the guards, you kind of expect guards to not be as good on defense or there's more, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a double standard, but the high scoring guard who's not good on defense, we've got a couple of those on the Warriors. We're very very familiar with that dimension. You can build a team around it, but a wing player like Luca, I know they call him like a point guard on offense, but on defense, he's guarding bigger guys, right? They can't afford him to be as bad defensively as he's been. And he hasn't really locked in this year. Vibes are real. Who knows what's going on over there? So Warriors have got four games left, counting the one tonight um, at Denver, home versus OKC, and then at Sacramento and at Portland. Mm. Warriors are not guaranteed the fifth slot or the sixth slot. Um, with three more games that they need to win on the road, um, you've got the 
Clippers, the Pelicans, and the Lakers with 38 losses. The Warriors are sitting on 37 losses. Minnesota's at 39 losses. So uh, this is not, this is far from being a done deal. Um, Especially, you know, that that loss to Minnesota was just heart-wrenching. Oh my gosh. Um, That was... It went from maybe the best win of the season to the worst loss of the season. And I feel like I've been saying that the entire season, but that's how <laughs> it's been. The, the constant ups and downs and, ev- and the longer it goes, the higher the stakes have gotten until now we're like in the playoffs before the playoffs. Insane. Yeah. But yeah, the Minis- um, Minnesota loss was absolutely crushing. What do you kind of think? What, what do you think is reasonable to expect from the Warriors in these remaining four games? I think, well, we need to find out. I don't know if Jokic is going to be resting tonight or if any of the Denver Denver players are resting tonight, but I'm hoping that they go three and one. I think this team smells it. They realize that no one's put them away yet. They're not fighting to make the play-in like uh, two years ago in 21. They are fighting to make the playoffs to get out of that. And I think they get into the playoffs. They've got their team around them. We can talk about Wiggins in a little bit and whether he'll show up, but they've got most of their team around him. It's starting to take some real shape. You put those guys in the playoffs, they're ready to go. I think they smell it. I think the loss against Minnesota was heart-wrenching, but the fight back against the Pelicans was like, we are not done. This is not how we're going out. You are going to have to beat us fair and square as the reigning champs. We're not going to fall away. So I think they're going to go three and one. I predicted, Sam, I predicted like on the final 10 games of the season, I was like, they're going to go eight and two. And I was predicting Philadelphia and Denver, the two MVP front runners as the two losses. And they beat Philly. I was like, oh my God, this is even better than I expected. Then they lose to Minnesota. And I was like, oh goodness, you can't even take the extra win. But I think that's going to be one of their losses. I think the Denver tonight might be a loss, you know, because I'm, I think Denver I think they want to beat the Warriors as well to show, like, we don't care who we're going to get. Reigning champs, we don't care. Oh, you beat us in the first round? That was without all of our guys. Let's show you. Yeah, but and the current, the, Warriors, um, yeah. the current injury report has Jokic listed as questionable, Jamal Murray probable, and Michael Porter Jr. probable. Ooh, interesting, interesting. I don't, you know, you would think that if you were Denver – if they wanted to play those games, because they're the one seed, if they win, they're playing the four or five matchups. So wouldn't they want the Warriors or Phoenix to get out of that slot so they don't have to worry about them? I don't know. Well, I think but, the I think the thinking is they want one of us, one of those two teams, the Warriors or Suns, to beat themselves. To, to oh, be that out. makes so much so sense. So then they only that have makes- to face one of them, not both. That have that huge battle between the Warriors and the Suns, then they get to pick off whoever's remaining. That makes a lot more sense. Oof, so, but I agree stuff. with you. I think dangerous if you're stuff. the, I think if you're the Denver Nuggets, you're disappointed that you lost in the first round of the Warriors last season, and you feel like you've got Jamal Murray back. You've got Michael Porter Jr. You're in the one seed. You've got, you know, this high octane offense that's just been rolling all season long. You want to go into the postseason with some confidence that you've been able to take care of business at home against the reigning champs. 
Absolutely. Short, of, short done... of anyone being unhealthy, right? Which I think this is more injury maintenance than Jokic actually mm-hmm. being hurt. Um, yeah, don't play anyone if they're not healthy, but if it's just a question of resting just to rest because the games are, aren't don't mean anything, well, this game has meaning because I think you want your guys to feel like, hey, we just beat this team um, closing out the regular season. Let's do it again in the postseason. It's so true. I mean, mentality is so important in basketball and the ability to say, oh, you may be the best, but I have beaten you and I know I can beat you on the court is a really powerful feeling. And we've seen it throughout the season because the Warriors, even though they're a great team, even though they're the reigning champs, these they play these lousy teams when they go on the road and those lousy lottery teams are like, we can beat the Warriors because we've seen it happen all year. And they shoot with more confidence and it goes in. It's insane. So I don't think you want to give up that psychological edge just for a tiny game advantage in the standings or whatever else. Like show you can beat them. And also, Sam, like everyone's talking about how the West is wide open. And it is. Like you can imagine like six different, literally every single team in the playoffs could possibly come out as the West champion in a way that's completely bizarre for most of basketball history. If I was... In, on the Nuggets, or if I was a Nuggets fan, I would be so insulted that people thought it was wide open. We've been the best team all year. We have the reigning MVP. Why wouldn't we be the favorites? So is that disrespect? That should be fueling them to be like, no, you don't think we can guard Steph Curry in the playoffs? Let's beat him right now and show that we're not worried about anybody. Yeah. I think the only question marks for Denver are, are defensively. They've been oh yeah, kind of a bottom half defensively for most of the year it's just been their elite offense that's just allowed them to cruise through the regular season totally totally i mean the offense is great Jokic is fantastic the defense is a problem and we all know playoff defense becomes a different animal it becomes a different beast and Jokic is going to be a lot more targeted but people misremember that first round series the first two games yes big blowouts but games of, for the Warriors and the Nuggets, but games three, four, and five, the Warriors went two and one, and they were close nail biters all the way through. So they kind of figured something out halfway through this, not figure something out, but they were able to pull their act together so they didn't get blown off the floor. Jokic was maybe the single most impressive player the Warriors had to defend. And Draymond was talking about like the respect he had for him afterwards. People like think that it was a walkover in a way it wasn't quite, that history allows us to believe it was. I'd be interested to see how it goes, especially now that they've got more firepower. But that firepower also comes with its own defensive issues. So, Right, and also you take the ball out of Jokic's hands, right? So you've got this yeah. guy who's basically an automatic bucket every time he touches the ball. Now you're giving the ball to Jamal Murray to take jump shots. You're giving the ball to Michael Porter Jr. to, hit, to try and take threes. Um, mm-hmm. If those guys struggle because they're not quite as efficient as you as just giving the ball to Jokic every time Mm -hmm. you know maybe that doesn't actually end up being to their benefit so and also um, the Warriors are more equipped to guard those guys too like they can (laughs) stick a Gary Payton on uh Jamal Murray they can uh, stick a Kaminga on Michael Porter Jr but Jokic is I mean obviously they have Draymond but we know we're like very slight when it comes to size there's not a lot of fouls to go around in our front court so that's a helpful for us too, if they are giving the ball to those players. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think Warriors Suns first round, you know, whether you play them in the first round, second round, third round, 
think there's an interesting argument to be made that maybe you're better playing the Suns in the first round because Mm -hmm. Durant still hasn't had that many reps with this Suns team um, and building rapport. And so, you know, just returning from uh, from injury and, and kind of facing them sooner than later might be to the Warriors' benefit. Absolutely. I think that makes a ton of sense, Sam. And I don't believe in the Suns at all because this would be completely antithetical to any historical precedent at all if a team that has literally played maybe five games together in total would go on to win the championship. Like, it's more than just the first year together. They haven't even played together with, like, all of their whole team. So I'm not too worried about them winning the title. What I would be concerned about is, yes, every round they would probably get a little bit better. They'd figure out each other a little bit more. And the main concern I have is Wiggins not being back and not being in his best game shape in the first round, which we would kind of need for a Kevin Durant. Because KD, like, even if he's not great on playing on the team right away because they don't have the reps, he's going to be amazing. And we need our best defenders there. And the Warriors kind of have the same issue. Like, they're probably going to pick up strength as they go through the playoffs, just like they did last year. I remember Andre Iguodala talked about how, hey, we're we're waiting for Steph to come back, and it's going to be something where we're going to really figure out our chemistry during the playoffs. And that's probably going to happen a little bit this year as well. That's scary with how up in the air it is without having that home court advantage in the first round. Yeah, and we did get um, a little bit of an update, non-update on Andrew Wiggins. Um, Steve Kerr mentioned that he returned to the Bay Area and he's doing personal workouts, keeping himself in game shape, um, but there's still no updates on his return. But I did Mm -hmm. get the feeling with that kind of non-update from the team, I, I kind of get the sense that Wigan's going to be back for the playoffs. Um, I think so too. I, I, I think, he, why else you know, he's, say that? yeah, he's, he, you know, I just get the sense that Andrew Wiggins is this guy who's very quiet, very reserved. His business is his own. Um, a lot of respect to the Warriors players front office organization for being able to keep this under wraps for as long as they have Mm -hmm. nobody leaking the news as as to the reasons as to you know what's been going on with him obviously we just know personal issues family issues um which is totally fine i respect that but yeah i really felt like with that last little update of like well he's he's back in the area and he's working out it's kind of you get the feeling like he's gonna be back for the playoffs um how ready is he gonna be you know for our game one of the first round i don't know um you know obviously yeah. you do need a healthy and productive wiggins to go on a sustained postseason run i mean andrew wiggins was the second best player on the warriors roster last year in the playoffs um i do kind of feel like though for that first round matchup against the suns i mean regardless of who you stick on durant he's gonna go off he's gonna get 30 so Mm-hmm. I almost feel like you could approach it the other way and just try and, and focus on shutting everyone else down. And sure, you've got Kaminga to throw out there on Durant, but you're not like going into it like we're going to shut down Durant and hold him to like 20% shooting or limit him to under 20 points. I mean, he's going to get his. He's going to be extra motivated that it's the Warriors. 
But if you can stop Devin Booker, if you can stop, you know, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton pick and rolls, um, just take away all of everything else and let Durant go off, that might be another way to approach that series. Uh, if Andrew <clears throat> Wiggins isn't ready for that first round or, you know, if he's coming off the bench for the first few games or, you know, he looks um, a little lost out there mm-hmm. as he's trying to regain his form and confidence. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a great point too, is Katie's going to get his, but the Warriors have a lot of collective experience and that coaching staff has a lot of experience in dealing with these, you know, one player supernova teams, whether it's LeBron, whether it's Luca, where it's like, hey, we're going to let this one guy get his, we're going to cut off the passing lanes, and yeah, they're going to score 30 or 40, but we're going to win in the long run. They don't have too much of a problem dealing with that, and that's what the Suns are. They have all of these incredible mid-range specialists, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, who can go and get their own bucket. The Warriors can handle that when the when the offensive possession slows down and they can almost dictate the terms. Yeah. It's the athleticism that really throws off the Warriors. It's the up and down. It's the defensive turnovers that turn into points on the other end. That's like historically been this team's weakness. The Suns don't fit that profile. Right. Now, the Warriors also don't fit the profile of the reigning champions. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but, but it is something that they can do. I think you're right. It's just... That's a lot of mental energy on Kevin Durant, just having a guy who physically could match up, even if you can't stop him, but another body to put in. And it's just like, if he's not ready for the first round, how helpful is Andrew Wiggins going to be in the second or the third rounds? You know, like we, I hope he, I hope he gets back because it's not just about how important he was. You remember this year, like he was so great to start the beginning of the season. Like he was, it seemed like he had jumped a level and like was playing with a confidence post championship that had eluded him maybe his whole career. And then he got hurt and his rhythm fell off and he really did not play well after he came back from injury. And then right when he was finding his form again, I mean, this crazy season of hijinks and chaos, he ends up going out. I think it's going to take him a while to get his rhythm. And he's like, and he's a rhythm player in the sense that he needs to be good offensively to be good defensively too. Like it kind of goes hand in hand for him when both things are clicking is when he really excels. So it's going to take a minute to get there. Yeah. And the nice thing is I think with the return of uh, GP two, the warriors feels like the warriors all of a sudden have all of these options and different and different players that Steve Kerr can plug in to different matchups and different situations. It's it's so crazy how just one <laughs> player all of a sudden it's like, wow, we've got DiVincenzo, we've got GP2, we've got Kaminga. Like all of a sudden it feels like we have all these different options. Whereas like, you know, well, you know, before we traded for GP2 or, or while yeah. GP2 is still out, it's like man, we've got nobody, but it's like one player all of a sudden feels like it's, it just, the possibilities are endless. Um, it's insane. Sam, can you believe that 70 games into the season, we finally have a rotation? It took yeah. that long, but it's like, oh, okay. All right. This kind of makes sense. But it's been, I mean, I'm very excited to talk about Gary Payton whenever we get there. Yeah, let's get into it. Sam, it's just, 
we knew how impactful he was going to be. That was, that was the last time we talked was right after the trade deadline. We were going back and forth. It was so exciting to have him back. And then again, this season of chaos, the news that he doesn't play, absolutely insane. Now that he's back, the defensive intensity that he brings is so helpful. The turnovers he creates, the extra seconds that it takes them to get into the action on when the Warriors are on defense, so the other team getting into the action, it's invaluable. It just and it adds to something more Warriorsy, if that's a term, than it was before. Even though he's not scoring that much, but he knows how to cut. He knows how to move. He's a little bit of an enforcer, even though he's a little guy. It has been so fun to watch him play. And I was so upset with them that they blew the Minnesota game because I thought he had a great return, like an immediate impact. And for them to choke away that win, I was just like, oh, no, nothing's going to change this team. But then they came around and they won the last two games. But what have you noticed from Gary so far? Yeah, that Minnesota game, there were at least two or three times that I that I noticed where uh, Minnesota got into the paint and it, maybe it was Looney or maybe it was Draymond kind of initially stopped the offensive player. Um, but you had like Nas Reed or Cat or just or or even um Kyle Anderson that just have, you know, impeccable footwork and just relentless attacking of the rim. Um get into like a little turnaround or um or step through. And then you had GP2 come over to help and contest vertically mm-hmm. and force a miss because it wasn't just Draymond or Looney there trying to defend that trying to defend that action one-on-one and exactly what you just said um just having somebody who's such a high IQ guy who has this endless motor and puts you know willing to sacrifice his body and put himself into situations to help the team win um Mm -hmm. now what I did see in the New Orleans game is he struggled a little bit to defend Brandon Ingram, who just shot over the top of him. So, you know, obviously he's a little bit undersized, even though he plays like a big man. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to see, which is why I think, you know, getting Andrew Wiggins back is going to be very important. But also you had Jonathan Kaminga. And so Kaminga was able to, um, you know, really stay with and, and harass and hound Brandon Ingram. So I think, you know, because last year GP2 did defend um Jason Tatum at times in that mm-hmm. in that finals matchup so I think that'll be something interesting to track if that was just matchup based you know Ingram just had yeah. it going and it just but like I don't know if you could expect GP2 to defend Durant right like maybe he can switch yeah. on to him for a minute um but to be kind of like the primary defender on him I mean Durant's just going to shoot right over the top um totally and Ingram and the, Durant have those oh sorry you go no it's okay Go ahead. Uh, Ing- Ingram just has that similar body type to Durant. Like they're nowhere near the same skill level, but he has that length where it's like that's almost his counter is to just shoot over the top of you. Right. That yep, that's when that's Gary's like one weakness is that he doesn't have that size. But remember when KD was on the Warriors in that first round against the Clippers in 2019, Patrick Beverly really got into him. And yes, KD eventually eviscerated him with the whole on Kevin Durant game in the post game. But for a while, you know, Patrick Beverly was really bothering him. But those tall guys, sometimes when they're, if they get him to pick up the dribble, that's almost a win too, rather than letting him cook. Yeah, Drew Holiday too, I remember, did the same thing to Durant. Yeah. Holiday's a little bit bigger though. Yeah, Holiday's kind of a uh, defensive monster. 
but Gary Payton's just this ball of energy. So, yeah. so I think the biggest thing I think that I'm the biggest benefit I'm seeing from GP two thus far um, is kind of beyond what he's doing on the floor, but also the experience he's bringing to the team. Um, and more importantly to the bench coming off of a championship run with this very team last year. Um, and he talked about this a little bit after the game, uh, less is more explaining to the, get to the bench guys that, um, you know, what it means to come off the bench and play with these, with this dynasty core and go on a finals run is like, let the big hitters do their thing. You get, you need mm-hmm. to come off the bench. You're not going to get a ton of opportunity, but just do the little things. Don't be worried about hitting the home run plays. Don't be worried about trying to go out and, and be a game changer. Just come in with energy, do what you need to do. Um, hit the singles, make the, you know, do all the little, the little things in the dirty work and leave the heavy lifting to the main guys. Um, and mm. I think that is something that our young and inexperienced bench um can really benefit from and to see gp2 do that by example obviously he's been hurt and he can kind of talk and has been talking to the bench you know since he's joined the team but being able to come out and lead by example coming off the bench and showing these guys what it means um i think that's really underrated you saw you saw gary payton get four offensive boards against san antonio the other night um it just it adds such a dimension to this team you've got Kavon Looney creating extra possessions. You got GP2 doing that. Um, DiVincenzo is also a menace in trying to track down rebounds. I mean, you need those hustle plays. The, you know, you need to win those 50-50 balls. All those little things that can help a close game um, lean in your advantage when you're on the road in a hostile environment, you know, deep in a deep playoff run. So um, I, think, totally. I think that's kind of the the intangibles of him being able to say, Hey guys, I did this last year. You can still make a big difference in 10 to 15 minutes, but don't be trying to come out and score 20 points in that time. Yeah. That experience, the veteran experience, that's something that they got rid of. You know, that was their, that was the trade-off. They were like, all right. So we have these young guys who have now had a year of watching them and it turned out that, you know what, we could have used a JTA or a Damian Lee or someone else who could really like guide these bench guys into how to do it. And then as they never got any momentum, the urgency gets so high where these, ben- you know, Moody comes in, Kaminga comes in, Kaminga's like totally carved out a role, but they still come in and they're like, yes, I am going to impact the game. And then they get worried that they're going to do too much or too little. It's hard to know what to do. I think especially for Kaminga, watching Gary Payton's offensive role and seeing how he cuts, how he dunks, where he gets his rebounds, how he plays defense, how he screens for the other for the Splash Brothers and creates other opportunities. And then you put Kaminga's size and his on-ball like line drive ability. He could do even more with that. Having that model is going to be so impactful. And Sam, something you said that is just so we cannot overstated enough that mental integrity and defensive ability on the road when things get tight to not make mistakes and to still play with the same amount of intensity that's something this team has been missing and Gary Payton has that in spades my man like he just he's overflowing with it he is not going to get rattled on the road he wants to shut it down so 
you're right. Just having one extra player kind of changes the mentality of the team. It lets Steph be more comfortable with who he's out there with rather than worried that, you know, someone's going to dribble it off their foot, which probably uh, will still happen at some point. But it's been great to watch. I think it's going to make a big impact. I think they're going to they're going to finish out the season strong now that they've kind of got their team together. And when Wiggins comes back and you've got like a GP2, Wiggins, Steph, Dante, Draymond lineup, oh my Lord, that's going to be so, a perfect balance of offense and defense. And that type of relentlessness is infectious. And so yes. it's not that you're yeah. just relying on GP2 to do that. Now you've got you know, maybe one game it's Kavon Looney, maybe another game it's DiVincenzo, maybe another game it's Kaminga, but having GP2 to kind of set the tone and up the intensity, everyone else wants to buy into that um, that mindset, that attitude, right? I mean, it was Kavon Looney in that um, crucial game in Memphis, right, to turn the series, or um, against the Celtics, right? You, you need to have, you're going to need guys to step up in different ways and make big plays in this postseason mm-hmm. run. And I think getting, you know, not even that GPT has been with the Warriors for so long, but he was invaluable and has so much more experience than most of the bench um, that I think it, it really does kind of elevate everything. And he's such a he's such a strategic piece that can be deployed in very useful ways. And so he just gives Steve Kerr and the coaching staff this, um, this very valuable and useful weapon um, while also kind of enabling everyone else like, Hey, now there's no excuses for us to not be elite defensively. Um, And it's just a wonder how one player can really turn the tide there. Yeah. You know, with defense, so much of it is just wanting to do it. Draymond's talked about this, right? It's like just wanting to do it. And on a basketball team, eventually you hit a certain point where if the majority of the team are good defenders, just everyone buys in a little bit more. And if the minority of the team are good defenders, it's hard to play great defense when you're watching all of your other teammates not play well. So just having a guy who plays defense and also – He plays defense, Gary Payton plays defense with volume. Like his steals are loud. They're impactful. He gets into people. Kaminga kind of plays the same way and is just, you know, not not as good as Gary Payton because Gary Payton's like the best perimeter defender in the NBA pretty much. It is infectious. I can see the rest of the team buying in. I've even noticed Jordan Poole, who, you know, his defense is, lacked a lot this year he's even started to like jump the passing lanes getting there i saw him get like a little block the other day it the energy does change things around especially when now what you need to do the role has changed you are not guarding that guy on the perimeter you're just kind of haunting the passing lanes and making sure nothing else happens because you know gp2's got it baby gloves got it so exciting to see the defense take shape here and it'll be interesting to see how they use it against denver tonight too yep so let's let's talk about JP three a little bit. I know you just mentioned his uh, <laughs> JP two to JP three. Yeah, um, Jordan Poole really coming to life at the right time, uh, scoring over twenty points per game in his last four games, uh, over ten points per game in fourth quarters in the last five games. Mm-hmm. Um, 6.4 free throw attempts in his last five games. I mean, Jordan Poole was was really struggling for a minute there 
when he returned to coming off the bench, Steve Kerr has toyed with him in the starting lineup. Um, I think rightfully so. And I mean, I guess, you know, matchup dependent and we'll see, you know, obviously Steve Kerr is notorious for, for switching it up if he needs to, but um, I mm-hmm. think the consensus starting lineup is Steph Clay, Wiggins, Draymond and Looney. Um, and so having Jordan Poole come off the bench and be efficient and be a scorer, be a playmaker, not a high turnover guy, getting to the free throw line, these um, momentum changing swings in the game where Poole goes on these like 10 0 runs and hit these, you know, three pointers from the hash mark and mm-hmm. dancing around in the lane and getting to the free throw line. I mean, he is electric he is explosive um at times to a fault when he dribbles it off his foot or tries to do too much but i think we're seeing him kind of figure it out in the last five games really kind of toning it toning down the extra but also playing with a lot of confidence playing with a lot of energy playing with high efficiency um shooting 40 percent from three and 50 percent from the field in those five games um, and really the reason why we were able to, uh, beat Philly and uh, mm-hmm. beat New Orleans, right. There was a stretch in that, in that critical comeback against the Pelicans where Poole and Kaminga had combined for like 20 consecutive points spanning, uh, a late third quarter and early fourth quarter run. And then you have Steph Curry come in to be the closer, uh, late in the fourth and close out the game. So Jordan Poole, I think, has been trending in the right direction. I saw some people, you know, really kind of losing faith in him and feeling like we overpaid this guy or we should look to trade him. Uh, but you just see where he has so much value on this team because he really he really becomes um, the top of the opposing team scouting report because – if Poole comes off the bench and scores 20 and you've got Steph and Clay doing their thing, the Warriors are hard to stop. And we're not even talking about Andrew Wiggins yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this guy, I think, is just incredibly important for the Warriors um, when he is playing at a high level like this. And, uh, you know, sky's the limit. He's still incredibly young and incredibly raw and um, has a lot more to prove and and um, achieve in his young career. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, as I've said on this podcast, I have been majorly frustrated with Jordan Poole this season. It has been so insane to watch him and it's because he's young and he's inexperienced and the mistakes he makes are the type of like curdle your insides mistakes that just don't happen with Stefan Dre. Like they make their own turnover mistakes, but it's not quite the same, like, how could this happen kind of a thing. Jordan Poole is a player who plays with exponential impact. When he's bad, he's really bad. His shots aren't going down, so his threes feel like turnovers. And then his actual turnovers feel like scores for the other team because they go absolutely nowhere. And it was tough to watch him figure it out. And as he was getting in his – well, I'm not going to armchair psychologize him, but you know, it just seemed like he was getting in his head and his defense went down too. 
And then this last week, you've seen the other way, right? When he goes super saiyan, when he turns all electric, it's more than just, oh, now he's scoring. It's the extra swagger that comes. It's the home court advantage that comes with the cheering. It's the deflatedness of the road when he gets it going. It's really, and how he powers up his teammates, how it lights up the whole place is very vintage, like Steph Curry 2013, in the same kind of way that those personal 10-0 runs can really jumpstart the whole team. And what's really exciting is that we've seen him play well before this season. He's had little stretches. This is the first time that it seems like he's really excelled in his role off the bench, coming in the midpoint of the first quarter, maybe not even the first sub off the bench, but whenever he comes in, he kind of takes his time, he gets ready, and then he's able to go for it towards the end of the game. And that level, that's what the Warriors paid him to do. That's what they hoped he'd find out. And he had been struggling against it, not even this season, like his entire career pretty much. So if he's able to figure out whatever magic he needs, maybe the Dray- him and Draymond finally like hashed it out. Maybe something else happened. Maybe Gary Payton being back in the lineup was like, okay, he's got a little bit of defensive support. So he really can just whittle around on the court. I don't know what it is, but him being unlocked, you're right. We would not have beat Philadelphia without him. Steph and Clay need that extra boost of scoring, especially with Wiggins out. And the fact that he's given it, it's more than just having like a Jordan Clarkson type on the bench who's able to score like 18 points a game. It's It electrifies this team in a really powerful way. And if they get him clicking going into the playoffs, that's really scary for the rest of the league. Yeah, and I think it just goes back to this um, front office and the culture uh, starts with the leadership of, of Steph Curry and and trust that he has in the process, right? Because there mm-hmm. was a stretch of games where Steve Kerr was like, "All right, Jordan Poole is going to be in the starting lineup." Um, that didn't go so well, and and then you know you you throw DiVincenzo in there, and and Jordan Poole kind of took it in stride. He, it wasn't the easiest transition, and he did struggle. But um, I think you know the point was made from from the coaching staff, like, "Hey, man, you gotta." You got to play with a little bit more integrity. You got to pick your moments a little bit more, play with a little bit more intelligence. And we're starting to see the benefits of him slowing down a little bit, picking his moments. Um, Cause I mean, anytime he's got the ball in his hands, he can create a shot. And you see there mm-hmm. are times where, especially if he's on the floor with Thompson and Curry, he will say, you know, he'll catch the ball and he could fire, he could turn and fire, but he, you know, I've seen plenty of times where he's like, you know what, I'm going to get Curry a wide open look because they're going to fly at me. Um, And same thing for Thompson. And you just kind of see the growth. And again, kind of going back to Gary Payton's mentality of like, lean on the main guys. Um, And Jordan Mm -hmm. Poole's kind of like borderline in that group, even though he's coming off the bench and He'll pick his moments, let the game come to him, see how the game's being officiated. Um, the biggest thing for me is Jordan Poole getting to the line 6.4 times, um, 6.4 free throw attempts per game in the last five games. His free throw shooting is such a weapon on this team. Um, really, him and mm-hmm. Kaminga are the only ones that get to the free throw line with any consistency. Uh, Kaminga had been shooting free throws pretty well the last few games, not so much. Um, Poole just his relentless attacking of the rim 
puts a lot of pressure on opposing defenses. It gets guys into foul trouble. He helps kind of muck up the game a little bit. I think it's such a weapon for him, even if his three-point shot isn't falling, um, his ability to penetrate, and um, he doesn't shy away from contact. Um, Yeah. Yeah, man, especially if his three-point shot isn't falling. I mean, that's been the big ill for this the season pretty much is that the Warriors turned into one of these three happy teams that if they make it, it was great. And if they miss them, they look, they could lose to anybody. And as much as the Warriors have always been a great three point shooting team with Stephen clay, that has never been their identity. They've always been defense first. They use their threes to generate open cuts at the rim. So watch them turn into this three happy, almost Houston rocket style team, the James Harden rockets was, I mean, so frustrating to watch. I feel like Jordan Poole is a big culprit of it because he would take threes with pretty reckless abandon and not know, like, not thinking about what it means for the team, what it means for him, what it means for that possession, what it means for the other way. So this new focus on my ability here is to go to the rim, and if I'm feeling well, then I can take some heat checks. That has been such a game changer for him. And it still led to you know, even in this good play, like he can still be a little uh, not great on the decision-making. You know, I'm thinking about that Minnesota game and yes, that turnover at the end, which was unforgivable from, well, that's a little extreme, but when Draymond turned it over at the end, that was the one that sealed the game. But to me, the big one was Jordan Poole taking that step back three. We were up to with like 30 seconds left and instead of just running a play, instead of getting to the lines of doing anything, he took this long, deep hero shot, step back three, which even Steph has gotten in trouble with this year for trying to be the hero there. And that's the kind of stuff that can't happen in the playoffs. And as good as he's been, I'm still, I think I'd still rather have the core guys and then Gary Payton or someone more defensively minded out there to close these games. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, that Minnesota, stretch was tough you had jordan Poole with a careless turnover then you had draymond green come down another careless turnover then you had steph curry come down and have another careless Mm -hmm. turnover three possessions in a row it's just going to be hard to win any games when you give away three possessions in a row down the stretch again it's it's the warriors tanking strategy sam we've been talking about it all year the master class (laughs) and how to throw games (laughs) it's amazing um On a different lens of this kind of three happy version of the Warriors, uh, Thompson, Curry, and Poole are now the second time in NBA history where you had three teammates each record 200-plus made threes in a single season. The only other team to do it, James Harden, Eric Gordon, and Ryan Anderson. Uh, So (laughs) so the Warriors did kind of reach that uh, three happy... um, status of of the old james hard rockets teams um which is quite an accomplishment three three teammates to each hit 200 plus threes then you had curry and thompson are the first teammates to hit 200 plus threes in three straight seasons um Mm. so just a lot of achievements um from the three-point line for the splash triplets um (laughs) you know i think 
not to, to get into a whole tangent on this, but we, you know, we did kind of talk at the start of the season that this was going to be an issue for the Warriors with their personnel. They didn't have the same defenders. They weren't going to be able to get into teams defensively and they were going to have to rely more on their offense. And with exactly to your point, right? It, it was either blowout or bust. If mm-hmm. Warriors hit 20 plus threes, you know, seal in seal it up as a victory if it's at home if it was on the road maybe that wasn't even enough (laughs) um yeah but it was gonna be it was gonna be offensive you know it was going to require offensive excellence to beat these teams um because we didn't quite have the same the same personnel defensively um yeah definitely i mean and they have lanes on their offense but for a team that's so obsessed and Kerr that's so obsessed with the motion offense the fact that they've kind of bailed out to these threes so early in the shot clock, so much over the course of the season, that was pretty dispiriting. I love how they're really starting to find different ways. They're really starting to, I mean, Jordan Poole going downhill, getting to the line more, even Stephen Clay have plays. He's been much more judicious about which shots he's taking. He still has a quick trigger, but he'll take, instead of a really tough three, he'll dribble into that step in long two that he can feel much more confident that he makes or right at the foul line jumper. So they're being a lot more thoughtful about what shots they're getting. And I don't think they're taking it as a given that they're just going to make all of them and win anymore. I mean, they're in the playoffs and the playoffs haven't even started. You had that game, that that close contested game against Dallas, where Draymond Green sealed off um, Reggie Bullock for Steph to get an open layup in mm-hmm. that kind of crucial um, closeout stretch um, in Dallas. So we yeah. we are seeing the evolution or kind of the return to um, more patience and more pra- and more practicality when it comes to late totally. game execution. But I think you know. A little bit of an excuse, and and I think I have a much longer leash with Jordan Poole than than most others. But <laughs> I think in Poole's defense, when you watch, because man, I mean they're very different players, and and Clay Thompson is is a veteran in this league who's who's so much more proven than Jordan Poole at this point in their careers. But and you just talked about Clay kind of having um, bad shot selection. When you watch all of these shots that Clay would put up. Um, just chucking up threes. I mean, Clay could put up three threes and and or six threes in like three minutes, right? He'll catch and mm-hmm. shoot in what it doesn't matter what direction his body's going, how many defenders are around him. If he thinks it's going in, he'll put it up. And so Poole was kind of raised in that culture of if you're feeling yeah. it and you've and you're and you've got the shot, you've got the green light to put it up. And Steve Kerr, you know, had had kind of given almost too much freedom to these guys and Jordan Poole really, really ran with it. And especially losing Andrew Wiggins, it it was kind of like, well, then what? Because Looney's not going to score 15 points. Draymond has been pretty, pretty consistent putting up 10 points per game, but in, in very select and situational circumstances, right? Green's not like your bailout end of the shot clock kind of guy. And so you did kind of need to rely on pool to put up a lot of shots. And unfortunately there were a lot of games where he took a lot of ill-advised shots um, that did lead to a lot of transition baskets for the opposing team. Um, Yeah. And I think the only silver lining to this is pool learned a lot of different ways to, um, to fail, to win 
right? And so in going through that and experiencing that firsthand and getting the Steve Kerr treatment, you know, being demoted to the bench, losing playing time mm-hmm. to DiVincenzo, there was a stretch of games where things were going really bad for the Warriors and DiVincenzo was getting a lot of closing minutes and games over Jordan Poole, which I'm sure really, mm-hmm. hurt, you know, really stung. And so he really had to dig deep and figure out what do I need to do to be productive and earn more minutes and, and be be able to be, you know, earn the re earn the coach's trust to be out there when it matters most. Um, and I think we're starting to see the culmination of all of that experience and reflection and growth coming together at the right time. Yeah, dude. I mean, look, Bull was in a really low spot and he hasn't been the only problem with the Warriors. This season has been insane. There's at least seven different points in the season where you could point at one other person as being like the main problem. I remember when it was James Wiseman and he's not even on the team and they're still choking away games. So it's (laughs) like every single player has been a problem, but Jordan Poole was pretty, he was almost the representative of the combination of a lot of things, like the front office's insistence on the youth movement, Kerr being unable to prioritize different people, the actual play on the court, He was playing really bad, like much lower than the contract he just signed. I know he's not getting paid it yet, but much lower than that. He was costing them games. And I think he, I mean, who knows how it came about, but it got to the point where if the Warriors continued trending like that and he didn't change his performance, I would not be surprised if they traded him because they simply could not keep someone with that contract on and have this season blow up like it did with that kind of level. So he hit rock bottom. And for a guy who is like clearly very cocky, was talking at the beginning of the season in the in Japan when they were doing all the preseason stuff about how he was going to beat Clay and Steph in the three-point contest. Like this guy was feeling himself and he like, you know, like any young man would. And he hit rock bottom. And to his credit, to that work ethic that the Warriors always talked about with him, he has found his way to climb out of it to figure out how to be more physical without complaining to the refs. Cause that was a big thing too. Whenever he would go inside, it would be like a whole shib- like a whole conversation with the reps and that would affect him on defense too. He's been able to get to the line. He's figured out how to change his offensive game and he's playing with a bit more wiggle now and adding a different dimension to the Warriors offense. And yeah, looks like he's back to being that player. If he can do it in the playoffs with the microscope turned back on, now that he's not like the newfound kid anymore, that we is remains to be seen. But I have a lot more confidence in it now than I did a month or two ago. Yeah, and I mean he did this he did this last year, so this isn't his first his first rodeo in the playoffs. Um, true, true. But as the playoffs went around, went further and further, his playing time went less and less. Like, yes, he was huge in that first round when he was starting against Denver, had a couple of big games against Memphis, but also had that famous stretch where he was completely targeted by John Morant. And then in Boston, he was like, you know, he was a bench player who got maybe like 15 minutes a game. And sometimes they were impactful and sometimes they were steady. But his minutes dropped off as the games got more and more intense. And that was when he was like a brand new player. Now he's a, like, I see him in freaking commercials, Sam. I don't know if you see this on national television. He's like there with other stars talking about NBA.com or whatever. 
And it's kind of like, whoa, this guy really blew up from this championship, which makes sense. He's got a very electric game. We've said that a bunch. He's very charismatic. It would make sense that he would get more famous and get on the scouting report. Exciting to see him push through all of that attention, both on the court and off the court. Yeah, and see if he can make it, a big impact on the team. It will, it will certainly be interesting to see, you know, how teams how teams strategize against him, um, how he responds to that. I felt like last year he was a little bit more of a catch and shoot kind of guy where mm-hmm. he was he was the odd one left open and just had a ton of really great looks and just cashed in. And then teams would oversell out to his threes. And then he just had um, open run, open steam to just drive the hoop and rack up fouls. And so this season, he really had to kind of figure out counter moves, um, relocation, um, and also the ball in his hands more to get Curry off the ball, to get Thompson off the ball. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see how all of that goes. I, I felt like in the, in the Memphis series, when uh gp2 went down yeah yeah it became much more difficult to put jordan Poole out there um so we'll see you know maybe we don't Mm -hmm. face the grizzlies maybe we do um but you've got three guys who can score um you know you got three guys who can who can score threes in bunches you've got kaminga who has really stepped up his game lately kind of figuring out being a point of attack defender, rebounder, roller, and finisher above the rim kind of guy. Um, Draymond Green has just been on another level lately, setting the mm-hmm. tone on both ends of the floor. We haven't even really talked about him. Um, I thought Draymond Green was the reason we even had a chance against New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. Because the way that, I mean... I feel like we could do a whole episode <laughs> just on why the Warriors don't get fouls called in their favor, <laughs> even at home. But that Pelicans game, right? You know that New Orleans is one of the best teams in, in creating turnovers and getting steals. They've got all of these handsy guys, and they were just all over the Warriors in that first half, raking across their body, generating all of these steals. You know, half of them were carelessness by the Warriors, half of them were fouls that weren't being called. And so what, you know, Draymond, this is what I thought really the brilliance of Draymond Green. He created this energy, this um, emotion to the point where everybody increased their intensity and started, and, and the game became so physical that the refs had to start doling out flagrant fouls. And mm-hmm. coming coming into the second half, the refs are like, we got we to gotta take back control of this game and we got to call a tighter game and they really changed new orleans ability to rake across our bodies to get into the passing lanes to be all handsy and then that enabled us to go on a big run but it was really draymond green um you know getting that technical foul getting that undeserved flagrant foul in my opinion against brandon ingram Mm -hmm. but then also creating this intensity that everybody was like oh man, we got to step it up. We got to be more physical to the point where then the refs had to change the game. Um, oh yeah. Which then played in the Warriors' favor. Definitely. That's such a great point that Draymond shifting the intensity there actually made it so the refs had to get involved 
That's something that you don't often think about, but it's what they say. You know, if you play with force, the refs will reward that. So if some team's playing with force and you're not getting the car calls, you need to fight back a little bit. You need to push back and match that energy level. Draymond can do that. Another intangible that we talk about, we talk about Gary Payton's intangibles. Draymond's are off the charts and you can tell he was kind of slow for a little bit, a little bit in the middle part of the season, like right after the all-star break. Makes sense considering it's just him and Looney versus the world when it comes to the Warriors' bigs. And now that it's getting to crunch time, you can see him really ramping up both offensively and defensively. And it's scary to see. I thought he was brilliant in that Minnesota game too, and then they ended up throwing it away. But the way he was guarding all of these guys, it was almost single-handedly. He's ready for the challenge. It's going to be really exciting to watch him, you know, go for it in the playoffs. And I love his um, his when he gets a full head of steam in transition, his, his willingness mm-hmm. to attack the rim and finish, right? A yeah. lot of tough layups that he's really found a way to finish. And, and he's playing with one hand, right? I mean, that that offhand is still is still messed up. Mm-hmm. No, his offensive intention, he's so much more active at the basket. He's shooting threes. He's trying to do tip-ins. He's not just dumping the ball to an even slower loony who's going to try to finish it. It's much more aggressive, and that opens things up for the Warriors. It's really exciting. And real quick on Kavon Looney, man, about to go back-to-back seasons playing all 82 games. What a career for Kavon Looney. What a turnaround for this guy. It's a testament to him being kind of the quintessential warrior, honestly, really. It's... It's amazing. I almost want to hang his his uh, jersey in the rafters. It's It's been beautiful to watch, and it feels like he's even better this year than he was last year. Like, last year was almost a coming out party, and like, oh, wow. No, he should get some all-defense consideration. This year, he almost feels like a two-way player and how good he is around the hoop and getting offensive rebounds. And sometimes he can be a one-man wrecking crew. Sam, did you see, so they made this new CBA, the new contract, and it now says when it, whenever it goes into effect that you have to play at least 65 games for award and all-NBA consideration. Yep. And I saw everyone being like, wow, Kevon Looney's going to be like back-to-back defensive player of the year. He's going to be second-team all-NBA because <laughs> he's one of the few players who actually can play all of those games. Yeah, um, I made a note about that, so we can kind of touch on that real quick here as, as we wrap up. So the new CBA deal um, is impl- so basically the NBA is implementing a second salary cap tier. So for super teams like the Warriors and the Clippers that are $17.5 million over the tax line, they will now be further penalized by losing the taxpayer mid-level exception utilizing cash and trades, moving first round picks in drafts that are seven years away, signing free agent players in the buyout market and taking on more money than is being sent out in trades. So um, basically what that would mean for the Warriors, right? Dante DiVincenzo was the taxpayer mid-level exception signing. So the Warriors would not have had that um, option to sign DiVincenzo. Um, and then it didn't really matter because they didn't do this, but 
you know, a lot of these kind of quote unquote super teams like Milwaukee and the Clippers, right. Signing free agent players in the buyout market, like the Clippers signed Russell Westbrook, Mm -hmm. um, the Bucks signed just about everybody out there. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I haven't read the whole thing in its entirety, but what I have seen, um, and then there's a whole other element of this where like players can now invest in the NBA, the WNBA, sports betting, and cannabis companies, um, mm. whatever that kind of means. I don't know. Uh, seems like there was a disconnect between um, the players association and the players. Um, and, and personally, I don't think, you know, we're basically for the Warriors – these are all homegrown players other than, mm-hmm. you know, Andrew Wiggins or DiVincenzo who they signed as a, as a free agent, um, to Michael Green. Most of the Warriors team are players that they've drafted. Uh, and it really is a little bit backwards thinking here, in my opinion, that we're going to penalize teams for drafting well and wanting to retain the players that they've drafted. I think if they were, a little bit more mindful about the direction of, of what they're exactly trying to do. Maybe they'd add some stipulations in here where it's a little less punitive. If the players, um, if you're this much over the tax line, but X amount or X percentage of that is due to players that you've drafted, the penalties are a little bit less or the threshold is a little bit different. Um, it just doesn't really make sense to penalize a team that's drafted all these players. The players end up being really productive. You want to reward those players with good contracts. You want to retain them. And then the league is going to say, well, you've drafted too many good players. So now you're going to start losing assets um, because your team's too good and you're spending too much money on, on keeping these guys that you drafted. Uh, just seems yeah. a little backwards. It seems a little off to me. Um you know, you look at the Clippers, on the other hand, none of those guys really are anyone that they've drafted, right? These are all free agents, so it makes more mm-hmm. sense there. Um, maybe even the Lakers. Um, I don't think the Lakers are that much over the cap, though. So just a little head-scratching, a little backwards. I think, you know, I, I don't really care too much about the future. I think right now it's just about focusing on winning another championship this season. But obviously you've got Draymond Green. Um, is has a player option for next season we've got bob myers who's still waiting to figure out if he's going to get an extension as the gm um potential flux and question marks for the future of the warriors um obviously you'd like them to retain dante divincenzo who's been incredible this season but uh the nba is certainly coming after the warriors it feels like with these new stipulations and and cba deal um that is going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out yeah sam it's really unfair it's not great i mean obviously we're the warriors fans so it's targeted against the warriors pretty clearly even going back to last year's finals when brian windhorse of espn was like this is a contract win this is a contract series win because or a financial win because they're able to pay so many folks 
it's not fair. The Warriors are one of the best stories because they have this team that they've developed and it's been around for so long. And when anyone, even from national media, talks about the Warriors, they talk about when's the next time we're going to see something like this with three players who actually grew up together that have that chemistry, that know how to play together. It doesn't happen anymore. And with these new rules, they're kind of legislating it so it will never happen again. It's quite simply impossible. And even for people who aren't like dynastic, like the Warriors, even like the Milwaukee Bucks, they draft one guy who's amazing in Giannis. They get this other guy, Chris Middleton, who, you know, was a kind of rando player and they developed him into someone great. And then they were really specific and strategic about that third guy they got. And they gave him a huge contract because they're Milwaukee and they don't have people just signing them. So it doesn't seem fair that they're not going to be able to reap the rewards of their team building either. I don't understand it. It seems like you'd want it to make it easier for other teams to reach that amount of spending as opposed to punish the ones that are spending. But that's the Warriors. I saw Draymond tweet something about it being like, I don't know how we always go to the, you know, go to the table with the best hand and end up losing. Like in terms of the like the players uh, bargaining agreement. I don't know if that was about the Warriors or if that was about the, award stipulation or everything but sam i do think it's very funny i heard about that you know you can invest in the team and i saw someone tweet being like the warriors are about to be the most silicon valley team clay thompson you get a vet minimum and stock options right you get some equity (laughs) in the team there you go yeah disrupting the industry it'll certainly be interesting i mean you know and i think also for the warriors depending on how they do in their in their postseason run uh what does Joe Lacob do, right? Because last se- last mm-hmm. year coming into the summer, it was very clear what he wanted to do, which is develop Wiseman, develop Kaminga, develop Moody, play Jordan Poole, um, bring in, you know, two new, yeah, two more young guys and Ryan Rawlings and Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, Ryan Rawlings, we've only seen like play two or three games the whole season, mm-hmm. part of which because the, the Warriors have lost so many games and there's been so few blowouts either blowout wins or blowout losses that he just hasn't had opportunities so i wonder you know i wonder what they do with that is he even worth keeping around the warriors are going to have another draft pick coming into this summer um are they you know what are they going to do with that can they possibly move some money around to try and retain divincenzo uh maybe jermichael green isn't as necessary on this roster now that you've got gary payton uh steve Kerr mm-hmm. did said jermichael green's out of the rotation right now um but anything wow. you know as as kerr always says you know anything can always change but right now he's just not in the rotation which makes sense i mean i i like jermichael green for when jermichael green's at his best he is very productive hitting open threes mm-hmm. grabbing offensive rebounds but he has never been a positive asset defensively and so yeah. when you look at this roster composition, you need GP2 on, out there on the floor. You need Looney or Draymond out there, especially in the playoffs. So sure, could Jermichael Green go out there and, and soak up some fouls against Jokic? 100%. But short of that, if everything, everyone else is healthy, unless Jermichael Green's stroking it from three, I think you're just better off with uh, with Kaminga, with GP2, uh, with Draymond and Looney. Oh, Totally um so totally man yeah will be very interesting to see I, I think you'd like to hope that if the warriors win again this season 
you've kind of um, helped Laika change perspective a little bit here with his two timelines, with his development of the future, because we've seen Kaminga really, really grow and blossom this season, although he's had his ups and downs. Moses Moody has hardly had that much opportunity, but um, I think he is, you know, the jury's still out if he can still be a productive, productive and meaningful player for the Warriors. Um, mm -hmm. DiVincenzo has far outplayed, you know, that MLE slot. Um, but also I think, you know, for DiVincenzo, he's not a dynamic scorer like Jordan Poole. So I think DiVincenzo is a very great complimentary player when you're next to Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, especially mm -hmm. like in the starting lineup, he can play both ends. He had that incredible offensive game against Milwaukee. He's had good stretches <laughs> of, of play where he's hitting threes, but he's not so aggressive that he's going to be taking 10 shots a game. He's like a three to five shots per game kind of guy. And, and if he plays minutes in the upper thirties and he's really feeling it, maybe he gets to 10 shots, but can you really give that kind of player like $20 million if you're the Warriors? Probably not. Um, doesn't no, mean he's not worth not. that, but um, you know, I think it will just be interesting to see what direction this team goes based on the success or lack of success that they have in the playoffs. And, and does that kind of help Laker pony up a little bit more cash? Um, do Ooh. they kind of change things with, with their younger players and move some stuff around to, to try and win a few more years? Um, a lot of, a lot of question marks for the future here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, let's just say this. If the Warriors win back-to-back -back titles after going through this season from hell, it'll be one of the most impressive things in NBA history. Like the fifth title for Steph, the fifth title of the dynasty, going through all of the ups and downs where nothing went right this season. It would be absolutely insane. And you would have to, if you're like a, say, these are my three guys that I am riding with until they literally physically cannot play basketball anymore. And whatever that means for anything else, whether it's Poole's contract or Wiggins contract or all the young guys or anything else, like you just got to prioritize keeping that trio together. But, and, you know, and there, with, there is a light at the tunnel because Draymond Green could potentially take on less money. Of course, he wouldn't want to. Clay Thompson, I think, is where things get a little bit easier because I think that's potentially an easier sell to to give clay maybe like 15 to 20 instead of like 40 plus what he's getting paid now um yeah and so you create a little bit more wiggle room there um but that depends you know if, if those guys are just i want to get paid and and pay me my money or do they kind of are they willing to kind of bite the bullet and uh take take one out of the spurs pocketbook and, and yeah. take a little bit less to uh, keep the thing going for, for as long as it'll go. And that also probably depends on what happens this year as well, right? Like if they win a fifth title, then it's like, yeah, you know what? Let me just stay and retire here forever. Keep it going. If they flame out or if they lose in tough fashion, I wouldn't be surprised if Draymond's like, let me go be in Detroit or let me go play important. You know, let me lead another team to greatness and really show how good I am. Depends. Like this is as up in the air as I can ever imagine a Warriors postseason to be yeah, make it, other make than maybe break. the 2019 one. I mean, but I would know, say, yeah, go ahead. Well, with the new CBA, Sam, too, it's like 
Draymond and Clay don't really have a choice. Like if they want to stay with the Warriors, they'll have to take less money because they don't even have the option of the normal luxury tax anymore. So it really ties their hands. Maybe that makes it easier for the Warriors to say, hey, come on, like we would have wanted you to do this anyways. Now we literally, you're both smart enough to know we can't field the basketball team if you get the, if you take the same amount of money you have now. So we'll see what they do. Yep, I think, you know, Warriors win it all or maybe a, you know, game seven loss in the Western Conference finals <laughs> or a game or a game seven loss in the finals. But yeah, certainly like a first round exit to the Suns, to the Kings, um, to whoever we might play, uh, <laughs> I think would have would very much kind of hit the the reset button on, you know, Draymond being gone, Myers being gone. And um, Draymond is really the key to all of this. Unfortunately, I think if you lose Draymond, there is still a way to rebuild this team around, around Steph and clay. But I think you're leaning on the three teammates hitting 200 threes a season type of, Mm -mm. of team, not, one of the best defensive teams in, you know, in history and with, with kind of this small ball switching and all of that, because Draymond is, is your guy to do that. And, you know, Looney is incredible and very solid, but very different than Draymond in that sense. And being that kind of, um, that kind of versatile defender. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't imagine the Warriors without Draymond's. And we'll see, you know, a lot of it is age, it's money, it's chemistry, it's all of it. And that's what these playoffs are going to lock and load. I think, Sam, that if the Warriors lose, not only will the Warriors need to blow it up if they lose in the first round to the Kings, if they lose to the Kings, Sam, I think uh, Joe Lacob needs to sell the team. I bet he has a bet somewhere (laughs) with one of his billionaire friends, with Vivek, who used to be, you know, on the Warriors. It's probably like, oh yeah, if I lose, it's probably a a bet they made two years ago. Sure, if I lose in the first round to the Kings, I'll sell the team. Now, I don't think it'll happen, but it's uh, on the table. All right, man. So we've got Denver tonight. A road game. I'd really love to see the Warriors win another game on the road. That would be three mm-hmm. in a row after they beat the Rockets Ooh, and the Mavericks. Streak, baby. Um, as of right now, I still don't have any updates, official updates on Jokic, who was listed as questionable this morning. Um but I do think he'll play as we said earlier. So yeah, really big game too. in Denver. Really like to see this team continue their success. Um, winning a game on the road against the best team in the Western conference would certainly help trend them in the right direction to being where they want to be heading into the postseason. Again, four games left. Nothing is guaranteed and promised. It's going to be a bloodbath to close out this regular season absolutely man this is a really a plant your fag a flag on in the hill kind of game you know it is if you want to be taken seriously as a team yes beating the pelicans at home is nice and necessary yes beating the spurs at home is nice and necessary 
But if you want to be considered a title favorite as a team that people need to fear, go out and beat Denver in Denver and show that y'all are the Golden State Warriors. And if I think they can do that, they're going to cruise to the rest of the season and they're going to make some noise. I agree, man. Steph, Clay, and Draymond in a playoff series. You know, I'd, I'd take that. I'd take that trio in any matchup in any seven game series. Can you believe it? After everything this year, they're still right here. You know, it's still the path is still kind of open for them. Let's see it. I bet they can do it. Legendary shit, man. All right, Corey. Great to have you on on this Saturday morning. As always, let's go Dub Nation. Awesome. Let's go Dubs. Thanks for having me, Sam. Let's get the win tonight and let's keep it rolling. See you in the playoffs. Cheers, man. Take care. See you, bud.